Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I might not be thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to Jesus, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, said to one another could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say in four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a good story. It's an extraordinary story. It starts with Jesus alone, by himself, hot and tired, thirsty, by a well where he can't presumably get much water out of because it's too deep and he doesn't have a bucket, all the way to the end where all of a sudden these strangers, these Samaritans, these heretics, these enemies of the Jewish people are proclaiming him not only as a prophet, not only as a Messiah, but even as the very savior of the world. 
Now, getting from A to Z, it took a lot of twists and turns, and that's what makes it such an interesting story, is because there's, you know, there's drama, there's a little bit of flirtiness in there, there's a comedy, well, light comedy perhaps with the disciples, and most of all, there's this extraordinary end, this climax, where Jesus receives the ultimate title from these strangers. Now back at university, English literature class, the professor would then say, this story needs to be deconstructed. <laughs> we need to kind of pull this apart and see what makes it work. How is it that this is such an extraordinary story and tells so much and it does it so masterfully? Now the first little bit and piece of the story is that well itself. It's the well of Jacob. Now Jacob, that well was there when Jacob was running around, you know, like 4,000 years ago. It's still there when Jesus is there, 2,000 years ago. And in fact, if you go to Samaria today, you can drink water out of that very same well right now. People are still drinking from it. It's an extraordinary place. And it represents, of course, the ancestors. It represents all those people from long before and through the centuries who have held faith in God. This well was a gift from God to Jacob. And it's one of the few things that still holds together the Samaritans and the Jews. At least they have Jacob together. Even though a few hundred years previously they separated and divided and had a big fight and never again were to be friends. So the Jacob's well is important in itself. Secondly, you have Jesus. Jesus arrives at the well and he sends off his disciples. Um, you know, he's, he's tired physically. It's been a long day, perhaps, a long morning walking and hiking and getting from hill to dale. But he's probably also tired of his apostles. About their, He's tired of their chattering. He's tired of their nonsense. He's tired of their goofiness. And he says, go into town. Leave me alone for a while. So they go off to town to buy some food. So Jesus is there at the well, alone, tired, thirsty, and almost certainly praying. That's what Jesus does when he's alone. Along comes a woman. Now this makes the situation very dangerous because a man alone and a woman alone at a well, well, that never happens. <laughs> it's a dangerous situation because there's all kinds of gossip and all kinds of things that could go on around that scene by itself. And in fact, there's something about this lady that makes her already a person with almost, I guess you could say, three strikes and she's out. The first strike is that she's a woman in that culture. That meant she had no legal value in except, except to be somebody's wife. She has no ability to testify in court. She has no rights. She's dependent completely on her man. One. Two, second strike. She's coming to the well. Well, no, let's take that three. The second strike is she's a Samaritan. As I mentioned, Samaritans and Jews, as the gospel says, have nothing to do with each other. It's more than that. They see each other as heretics. They had a big fight over, over the temple in Jerusalem, and they went off. The Samaritans went off and started their own temple, their own rites, their own liturgy up on the other mountain. 
So they got the Jews have their mountain, and, the is, and they, they see each other as heretics. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the way Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland saw themselves back in the 1970s. You know, you didn't talk to one another, you fought with one another, you looked the other way. There was no commerce between you. There was no communication. They were over there, and we were over here. So number two is she's a Samaritan. And number three, she's coming to the well at noon. There's only one reason she would be coming to the well at noon, and that is because she has been ostracized by her own community, by her other, the other ladies. People go to the well to draw water in the morning when it's cool, or in the evening when it's cool, not in the middle of the day. The fact that she has to come at the middle of the day when there's nobody there means nobody wants her around. And why? Well, we find that soon is enough. She's got a bad reputation. So we've got Jesus and the woman. That's the next piece of the puzzle. Jesus looks at her and says, can you give me a drink of water? It's the simplest little request. On the face of it, on the surface of it, we would think nothing of that kind of request. Of course you would make that request. Here's the well, she's got a bucket, she can draw the water, she can give me a drink to drink. But the fact that Jesus speaks to her is contravening all kinds of cultural, religious, and social, and spiritual norms. He, he's, he's not breaking the law so much as he is just countervening kind of the, the moral and religious social standards of the day. He's talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan, and he's talking to a lady who has probably got a really bad reputation because she's there at noon. So that simple request is already Jesus doing something extraordinary in this story. Good Jewish men do not talk to Samaritan women of bad reputation. So, she says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me this? This is really unusual. This is, uh, this is not the norm. <laughs> this is not what we do around here. You know that. So why are you asking? Jesus then speaks to her and says, you know, if you knew who you were speaking to, I, you, you would be asking me for water, for living water. She's confused. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She thinks he's talking about living water, like living water from a creek, rather than the stale, brackish water of a well. Where, where are you going to get this living water? She doesn't get it. And this is perhaps where the flirting comes in. You know, she sees this nice, handsome, young Jewish guy sitting by the well who's willing to break all kinds of conventions to talk to her. And she may be thinking, it's hard to know, we don't know her mind, hmm, husband number seven? <laughs> uh, she flutters her eyelashes a little bit and smiles a little bit coquettishly and says, give me your water. <laughs> be happy to have some of that living water. It'd mean I never have to come here again. <coughs> so that's kind of where that part of the story ends. Next little piece of the story, Jesus changes everything. Jesus then says to her, go get your husband. Uh-oh. Now she's got to either admit her wrongdoing in her life, the many mistakes she's made, or walk away. 
but she doesn't walk away. She says, I have no husband. And with those words begins the unraveling of her life. Because Jesus then responds, no, you are right. You do not have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. You've had a pretty sad life. What Jesus is doing is exposing the inner well inside her, which is empty. You know, you can drop, you can drop your bucket as far down as you want into the well inside her spirit, inside her soul, and find nothing but dust. This is a woman who has looked for love all her life and not found it and has been probably mistreated and walked away from and has had nobody respect her, and now she has to live with the reputation of a woman of ill repute. Why aren't those other women letting her go to the well in the morning? Because they're afraid she's going to steal their husbands just like she stole the other five, six. All of a sudden, she's exposed before Jesus. Everything is open. He knows me. He's talking to me. He's talking about my interior self. He knows what's going on inside me. And this respect and indeed this kind of loving gaze that allows this woman to see how poor she is, how thirsty she is, how empty she is of living water suddenly turns her from the coquettish lady who comes to the well to someone who is about to be changed forever. Well, just about that time, next little piece of the story, the apostles come coming back. They've been off, they bought some peanut butter sandwiches and some grapes and some wine and some da-da-da-da, and they come, hey, Jesus, here we are, and they're surprised Jesus is talking with the woman at the well. Of course they're surprised, <laughs> because that's not what's supposed to happen. Jesus, why are you talking to the lady at the well? This is sort of breaking all of the rules. Jesus shuts them up. Step back, just a minute. So the woman runs off, goes back in the town. And this is extraordinary. Because when she goes back to town, she begins to proclaim what has happened to her and who did it to her. She begins to proclaim that this guy she met at the well might just be more than a prophet, maybe even a messiah. He has told me everything I can do, I have ever done. And the people in the village listen to her. Remember, she's a woman. Remember, she's a woman of ill repute. Yet the people listen to her. She's already been changed. The first great miracle, the, the one great miracle of this story has already happened. She goes back and people see her and listen to her and pay attention to her and respect her. And they go out to meet Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is with the disciples. What have the disciples done? When they went into town, all they did was buy some groceries. They didn't want to deal with the Samaritans. They didn't proclaim anything. They didn't bring Jesus' light or life or his story or his grace to anybody in that town in contrast to the woman who goes back to the town and proclaims Jesus as prophet and Messiah. The one who gives us living water and everybody goes out. She accomplished what the 12 didn't even touch upon. 
That's what makes it extraordinary. So the townspeople get there and they listen to Jesus and they do this extraordinary thing where they invite Jesus, this stranger, Jesus, this Jew, Jesus in their eyes, this heretic, to come and stay with them for two full days and teach them and bless them and grace them and give them the living water that flows into eternal life. And that's where we get to the end of the story. This woman who went back to her town changed, changes the town. And they say, as Jesus finishes his stay with them, we believe you are the Messiah, not just because what she has testified to us, but from what we ourselves have experienced in the depths of our soul. You are more than the prophet. You are more than the long-awaited Messiah. You, Jesus, are the very savior of the world. Not just Jew, not just Samaritan, but of all of us, you are the savior of the world. Wow, what a story. And if this story teaches us anything all these years later, it has to be that in our own encounter with Jesus, he sees us for who we are. He sees us with whatever the equivalent to five husbands and one who is not our husband is in our life. He recognizes the empty wells in our souls. And he blesses us with the living water of his grace, of his mercy, of his love, so that we too join those Samaritans in saying when all is said and done, Jesus, you are more than a prophet. Jesus, you are more than a Messiah, as we understand it. Jesus, you are my savior and the savior of the world.